episode of the Eagles water cooler we have the full roster tonight I'm joined by Andrew Matt and Mike and we are going to talk about a little bit about the Eagles coaching situation which has changed since our last episode and also some defensive prospects that the Eagles might target uh, with their sixth pick fellas how we doing doing good Chris good to be with you on inauguration day yes yeah inauguration Wednesday indeed feeling very energized Fresh starts all around. Let's hope. When are we going to inaugurate a new head coach? That's my question. <laughs> well, there it's, it is. That's a, great, uh, that's a great tipping point. <laughs> yeah, great segue there, Matt. Um, I, I have to say, as a fan, you know, bedlam, turmoil, it's, it's felt rough. Uh, Doug Peterson fired, I believe it was on Monday of last week, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it came as sort of a surprise, but there were whispers that there were issues with Doug and, and the front office, uh, the owner, et cetera, and obviously with Carson Wentz. So not a total surprise um, in that we knew there were issues, more of a surprise in light of him having brought the first Super Bowl to Philadelphia just a short time ago. So um, just to touch on Doug, you know, there were obvious successes uh, while he was here. And I think he was uh, a coach that, that you could sort of relate to and, and, and get behind, uh, albeit at first a head scratcher uh, when he first came in that everybody thought, really, this guy? Um, and obviously he wound up um, bringing the most, you know, the most prized possession uh, to the NovaCare, and, and that's what's really important. But here he is uh, five years later out the door and we're on the hunt for a new coach. Um, it reminded me a little bit um, although a lot less shocking with the timing of, of Chip Kelly's departure and this sort of limbo as a fan that it leaves you in without that identity at the helm. The Eagles are rumored to have had interviews or are going to be interviewing a, a host of candidates, both defensive and offensive. Some of them have been grabbed up by other teams who needed head coaches. Um, and, you know, as fans, we're we're tailspinning a little bit. As Matt says, when are they going to inaugurate uh, a coach? When are we going to get that, that update on our phones that, um, that we know who the Eagles new coach is. So the hottest rumor right now is that the Eagles are targeting Josh McDaniel, the offensive coordinator from uh, the new England Patriots, who was there all throughout uh, Tom Brady's uh, tenure and also had some head coaching, uh, albeit, <laughs> Uh, not successful head coaching experience with the Broncos, I believe just for a year um, or maybe just, maybe it was a, a two seasons. Was it just a year? Uh, like 2010 is the Tebow, you know, that was yeah. his thing. So I'm less than enthused about uh, McDaniels. Mm -hmm. There, there are other candidates out there, but I don't know if it makes you feel this way. I mean, it's out of our hands, but as a fan, I'm, I'm anxious. I, I want, I want that answer. Um, even if it is someone that I'm, I'm not as crazy about, uh, just to get the answer at this point, because it feels like the team is scrambling to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any candidate out there currently that 
gives you much confidence, right? Um, there's some interesting people, I think, but you know, aside from maybe Deuce, who I think at least knows the system, has won a Super Bowl. Um, the players seem to rally around. You've seen a lot of confidence in in him. Um, I, there's a lot of question marks, I think, with with some of the candidates here. And I would agree, for whatever reason, um, McDaniel's is is feels lukewarm. Um, although he comes from you know Belichick and a pedigree of success, uh, you know why has why has he stayed there for so long? I think, you know, his name came up year after year. Um, what was really holding him to the Patriots? Was he hiding under the Brady Belichick kind of bubble or was it just <laughs> he was winning Super Bowls, you know, uh, year after year? So, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. And I, I think what what's also difficult is I think a change needed to happen. I don't know if it was Doug. Um, I would have liked, I think personally to see him back for a year, but with an offensive coordinator in place, I think that's what the the biggest issue was, was he wasn't calling great plays. And yes, there was the Carson beef, but without an offensive coordinator, that was just a, it seemed to be a, a messy situation. So, um, I, I don't know, you know, like you said, Chris, there's a, a multitude of, of different candidates coming in and new names popping up and new stories coming out. So, you know. Let's see if they can fill that void, but they also have to fill in the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator. So it, it, it as you said, it makes us feel uneasy. And uh, I don't know what hire makes us not, you know, feel uneasy. You make a great point, especially about, you know, Deuce as, as someone who's been sort of passed over and, and has knowledge of the team and has command and respect from players, both current and, and former. I know Malcolm Jenkins came out in, in full support of him. Um, you know, to what you said about Doug, I think that structural piece is huge. And I think moving forward, they may look to get a coach who's, who's more of a coach leader of men type rather than a play caller uh, to have that structure in place. My other thing with McDaniel before I spread it around, he sort of notoriously uh, backed out of a position with the Colts that allowed Frank Reich the opportunity to go and become the head coach. And maybe he thought he would be um, in the you know, the next up seat or on the on-deck circle um, to take over for Belichick, but he doesn't seem like he's quitting anytime soon. So really dicey situation here. Uh, Mike, what do you got? Yeah, dicey is a good word to describe the situation. I think as a fan, there's only so much you really can know about what's happening inside the organization. There's a lot of rumors about Carson. There's a lot of rumors about Doug. There's things out there like conspiracies that Doug wanted to get fired. He was trying to get fired as opposed to just walking away. Regardless of like what's true or not, like there's the, the organizations in shambles. And like, because of that, it just, just as a fan, as an outsider, looking at like the hot mess that the Eagles are right now, have somebody like Deuce who knows the players, knows the problems of the organization, you know, give him the reins to try to go fix it. Um, I think a lot of players from around the league have come out in support of Deuce and, you know, he would be the type of guy that could write the ship. And um, from what I'm hearing, he would hire a pretty good staff around him. Um, I think there, uh, Jeffrey Laurie is saying that he's really impressed with his plan for uh, what his staff would look like. So, you know, give the guy the opportunity. I'm just saying if, it, if it's really as hot of a mess as the media is making it out to be, Get a guy like Deuce to, to lead them back. 
Maddie? To Andrew's sure. point, just real quick, I think Deuce is probably, of all the ones that would make me feel, I guess, least uneasy, uh, he feels like the most stabilizing force. You make a great point, uh, Michael. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, I'm on the Deuce train, hands down. Uh, there's so much turmoil with the Eagles right now that I think uh, a guy internally is <clears throat> is the way to go. Deuce just knows what's going on. Uh, he knows, you know, they, what we don't know and see in the general public. He knows the relationships. He knows the attitudes. And I think having a guy on the inside will help us weather the storm for the next three years. Um, I, I do want to bring up that, uh, and I, I had it here, that uh, former, former Eagles safety Malcolm Jenkins came out and said that when Deuce spoke, everyone in the locker room listened. And I think that speaks volumes to deuce and his leadership qualities and i think that's what the eagles need right now is a leader uh so i think deuce looks like the easy choice now you know mcdaniels yeah he he seems kind of lukewarm i i think chris you brought that up but the guy does have six super bowls under him and he's a quarterback specialist coach and that's what we need right now when we don't know who's playing quarterback. So he did have, uh, he did go out to Denver and struggled out there as a head coach, uh, came back, had some time with the Rams and then came back with the Patriots. So maybe that was a humbling experience and hopefully he grew from that and he's ready to ascend to a head coaching position. Uh, and the last guy that's been floating around is Bienemy coming out of the uh, Andy Reid coaching tree. Guys, look at who's come out of there. You have John Harbaugh. Yes, Doug Peterson didn't quite work out, but he won us a Super Bowl. Ron Rivera, Brad Childress. Uh, there's been a number of head coaches that have come out under Andy's toolage, and Bienemy looks like the next man up. So, you know, all three – could be good choices. Uh, only time will tell. I am leaning towards Deuce, though. I also just want to pose the question. It's the Philadelphia Eagles and the Houston Texans that are the two teams left without a head coach. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Uh, did we miss on some opportunities? Because I believe there was six open uh, positions at head coaching in the NFL, and uh, four of the six have been filled. What's that say about the Eagles? I, I used the word scrambling before, Matt, and I think you make a great point. I think there there is a chance they were a little behind the eight ball or sort of misjudged. Um, you know, Josh McDaniels and the Patriots have been out of the playoff picture, so there was no, <coughs> excuse me, preclusion to them interviewing him, and it seems to have happened kind of late on here. Um, I agree with what um, you said about Deuce. I saw that same tweet from Malcolm Jenkins about um, the respect that he commands, and I'm sort of of the opinion that we need to, as fans, hold on to what we think we can move forward with. And one of the primary people that comes to my mind is Miles Sanders um, and his relationship with Deuce, uh, you know, the need for an established run game. You know, the enemy is also a former Eagle, also a former running back. Um, you know, I think the way that um, 
running backs have been viewed in the league or maybe devalued over time. It's interesting that, you know, a couple of the candidates we're talking about here are former running backs who are run game coordinators, so to speak. Um, it's it's going to be really interesting to see moving forward, but I think we all feel good about a known commodity uh, in Deuce, and I do have some faith he could put together a staff, but a big part of that to me is Miles and the big investment in Miles and what we've seen from him um, and maybe just a few other players that we can count on moving forward, Andrew. Uh, just a quick note here, and I think this just came out uh, an hour or two ago. I don't know if anybody saw it, but Jimmy K- uh, uh, Kemsky uh, reported that the Eagles denied the Lions' request to interview uh, Dave Phipp, the current Eagles um, special teams coach or coordinator who's been there for for years. So um, I, I think that's interesting. I have no idea. I don't think he's been interviewed for any coaching position, but they're obviously not willing to let him go, despite the fact that our special teams have been very average, I think, for the last couple of years and, and not so great this year. So um, I, I don't know what they're thinking there, but just thought that was interesting to, to note. It's really interesting. And he seemed to hung around at a time where, <clears throat> you know, there was turnover with the coaching and obviously, um, you know, what we think of. And I think he's existing off of a resume of what Darren Sproles was able to provide when he first came over from the Saints, um, because the, during the chip year, at least that first year, um, they did have dynamic special teams. And I don't know if he's just sort of, sort of been able to hang around as a result of that. Just to bounce back to McDaniel for a second, Matt mentioned his head coaching time, uh, which was, you know, 10 years in the past now. And there have been a host of other examples of coaches who failed in one location, went back to college or took a different position and then were able to find success. Pete Carroll's the first one um, that springs to mind. But Matt, did you have one more thing on the coaches? Yeah, well, I'll piggyback off that. Josh McDaniels is only 44 years old. He started coaching as a graduate assistant with Michigan State in 1999. This guy has over 20 years experience as, as a coach in some capacity, either at the collegiate or NFL level. Uh, I think this guy is qualified. Yeah, he's not flashy or anything, but you know he he's under one of the best head coaches of all time in Bill Belichick. So uh, don't sleep on Josh McDaniels. And it'd be interesting as an outside factor to know what his desire is to call plays and what his um, play calling responsibilities were in New England, because obviously that's something that we felt the team suffered with this year. But all of this is speculation. We're going to sort of wait and uh, hope to get an update on this uh, as it's been identified on this pod already. The Eagles and Houston Texans are the only two teams without a head coach still. So hopefully the search uh, concludes and, and they have a coach and uh, no matter what, we're going to have to learn to live with it. But I think we're all voicing that if it's Deuce, we feel a little better than some of these other candidates that have been talked about, albeit I think Matt made a really good case for Josh McDaniels, who, whose resume sort of speaks for itself. We tonight, though, wanted to focus more on some defensive prospects and the Eagles picking at sixth overall. They have some options there. Not having hired a head coach yet, I think, also leaves that op- open Excuse me, to uh, options of what position they might target. So we are going to begin uh, with Mike, who's done some extensive cornerback research um, and has sort of shared his passion of it with me. I've really been uh, kind of digging into both of the guys he's going to talk about tonight that could be first round prospects. And maybe uh, if the Eagles decide to hold on uh, to the cornerback position for the first round and, and use a second round pick, some options there. So, Mike, I'll turn it over to you. Great. Uh, thanks, Chris. So, 
just before we get into talking about using our first pick to select a cornerback, the current status of the Eagles cornerback position. Um, obviously last year we locked up uh, amazing corner in the league, Darius Slay. He's under contract. So, you know, at least we have one side of the field that should be shirt up on the outside. After Slay, it gets pretty dicey. Um, we've got Avante Maddox entering the last year of his contract. Uh, we, and we have Michael Jacquet entering the last year of his contract. There's some other guys that are returning, but they're no-name players. Trayvon LeBlanc and Mikel Roby Coleman both need to be re-signed if they're to continue with the Eagles. So right now we've got Slay, Maddox, and Jaquette. Um, obviously, you know, there's going to be some gaps here. We don't have a sure thing on the other outside corner position, and we probably even need to bring in a role player for that slot corner position. And then just general depth, with me, which maybe the Eagles can just um, do through acquisitions and free agent free agency. But if they really wanted to go after more of a sure thing to play opposite Slay on the outside, there's two guys that the Eagles could take with the number six pick. Uh, the first is Patrick Sertan the second. Um, he's a junior out of Alabama. He's 6'2", 203 pounds, which is really great build for a guy coming out of college. Um, just a little bit of background about Sertan. He was a five-star recruit out of high school. Um, he's the son of a, of a, his father also played in the NFL, Patrick Sertan Sr., who had a really great career playing for the Miami Dolphins, three-time pro bowler. Uh, he was a first-team all-pro and considered by the Dolphins to be one of their best cornerbacks in franchise history. Um, so Sertan Sr. taught his son basically how to play the position and guided him to becoming the number one ranked corner in the country coming out of high school. Um, and by the end of his high school career, Sertan basically was never targeted in any game. And um, as a result of this, he, he could have gone anywhere. He ultimately chose to go to Alabama. Um, and there was a lot of pressure on Sertan. And this is one of the more impressive things about this kid is he was the number one cornerback recruit coming out of high school, coming into Alabama. He didn't redshirt. He played as a true freshman. And there was a lot of questions around him, like, can he live up to the hype of being the best corner in the country? And he has. He's totally delivered on that. So he's definitely a guy that can um, play under pressure and deliver when the expectations are high on him. And I think this is definitely a, a really good trait that should be coveted. Um, basically, his time at Alabama, he's progressed all three years into his junior year where he's just becoming less and less targeted. There's definitely games where you see he wasn't targeted once. Um, he, now, it really does depend on the opponents, but he also has some great coverage on some high-profile receivers out of LSU and um, other programs. Uh, but the expectation is for this guy to be a lockdown corner in the NFL. Um, now, <clears throat> on the flip side of that, we have an up-and-coming player in Caleb Farley. And Caleb Farley, he's also a junior out of Virginia Tech, similar build to Sertan. He's six foot two, 202 pounds. 
Um, his 40 speed is slightly faster than Sertan. So this guy's got a little bit more speed than Sertan does with basically the same build and physicality. Um, now, he was a highly decorated high school QB. I thought this was worth noting because he played the quarterback position in high school. Um, his speed is what attracted him to Virginia Tech. They recruited him at a uh, wide receiver, actually. Um, but just going to his high school senior season, he had 1,800 yards passing for 21 touchdowns, 2,600 yards rushing for 37 touchdowns. He had 58 total touchdowns, which is third all-time in North Carolina. That's in high school. Uh, he set a state record with TDs. He, um, there were two games back-to-back -back games, which he had eight touchdowns in each of them in high school, which is kind of nuts. Um, he did red redshirt his freshman year due to an injury at Virginia Tech. Um, and it was actually over this time while he was rehabbing, he lost his mom to breast cancer. Um, and when he returned, um, you know, this was kind of an impactful thing, which ultimately led him to opting out this season. Um, but when he returned, uh, he came back at a new position, originally wide receiver. Now he's at cornerback. And in his very first game, he had two interceptions and a sack, which is, this just put him on the map. Now, all of a sudden, it was like Caleb Farley is a guy who could go to the NFL for this position. The rest of the year was kind of inconsistent, given he just changed positions and, um, you know, starting out, which is, I guess, a little understood. The next season is where he really had his stellar season, 2019. He was named first team all ACC cornerback. Um, he could have turned pro, but opted to return for the 2020 season. However, ultimately decided to opt out, wanted to protect his family, having lost his mother. He didn't want to put anybody else in jeopardy and, you know, go through any further loss. Um, but between these two, you've got Sertan and Farley. They're basically the same size and height. Farley's got the edge in terms of speed, a little bit faster in the 4-3-4-4 range. Um, they base, basically both have great ball hawk um, ability, great press coverage, and both could use improvement in zone. So I guess I'll pose it to you guys. Would you rather have a player who is high profile, always been ranked at the top and has been delivered kind of a sure thing and has played at the highest competition level he could? Or would you rather have another player in Caleb Farley who's definitely, you know, has an upward trajectory, but maybe hasn't proven it quite as much as Sertan yet, but might have a higher ceiling? I don't know. What do you what do you guys think about this? Maddie, I'll, I'll throw it to you. Mike, just want to start off by saying fantastic job breaking down both of those players. Uh, really well done. And yeah, uh, you can tell that both are very talented guys. Uh, one thing I'm seeing a knock on Patrick Sertan is uh, going to be his long speed. Uh, looks to need time to build up speed when challenged vertically. Has given up some explosive plays to wide receivers who have been able to detach and get behind him. So it looks like Caleb may win in that uh, in that battle, uh, battling the long ball. The knock on Caleb I came I saw was his 
backpedaling ability to stay low and maintain uh, a, a low backpedaling stance. Where that helps is when you have to change positions, you can explode out of it. Uh, being in that more crunched backpedaling motion, there, uh, I saw that uh, his height attributed to him standing up more, but there's only an inch difference between the guys. Uh, Caleb Farley, you bring up a good point, is was a quarterback, very successful quarterback. And as history dictates, the quarterback is always the best athlete on the field uh, at the high school level and then usually goes on to either stay at the quarterback position or – uh, develop at another position. So, and, it, and they brought him in to be wide receiver initially at Virginia Tech because of his speed. Yeah. So the guy is definitely just a natural athlete. So it's a very tough question that you pose. Uh, I I will give it to. Uh, I I'll give it to uh, the Alabama guy Patrick Sertan just because it it's in his DNA. Uh, you, you talked about his father, who he's named after. And yet what God, you're the best athlete in high school or you're the, the best cornerback in high school. You also bear the same name as your father, who was a, a phenomenal player in the NFL. That's a lot of pressure. And he answered the pressure uh, throughout his career at Alabama. So because it's in his DNA, I got to give the edge to Patrick Sertan, but it, both guys look on paper like they could excel at the next level. I really appreciated learning about uh, Caleb Farley's background just as an athlete on the football field, you know, playing all these different positions. And I think the, the sort of dilemma that Mike poses about, you know, which person do you want to go to? I mean, Patrick Sertan uh, is a pure corner like even by his lineage is a pure corner. Whereas Caleb Farley is a player who's transitioned to corner and been able to make a big impact, uh, especially on the stat sheet after having been a, a high school quarterback and having been recruited to Virginia tech to play receiver. Um, and obviously undergoing some adversity in his personal life also, um, you know, and that sort of thing and how that, you know, makes you grow and develop as a person, his adaptability position to position, um, you know, probably is a, a byproduct of that also. Um, I'll say in watching the two players, um, Farley stands out uh, on film big time. Uh, he's constantly making plays, uh, especially on the ball uh, and, and a lot of them interceptions. Um, the thing that gives me some confidence in Farley is his, is his speed uh, and the idea that he can sort of uh, make up or close where he needs to, that he has the size that's necessary uh, what gives me some pause is when I watch Patrick, Patrick Sertain, uh, Matt mentioned his limitations in long speed. He is so physically imposing uh, when you watch him play against receivers that he creates mismatches of his own. And his uh, ability to break up passes winds up being just that. I saw maybe one interception, I think, uh, that really stood out in my mind, but a lot more pass breakups and especially in end zone plays. Um, I think in this situation, I think I want the guy who's kind of the dyed-in-the-wool uh, corner, and my inclination is to, is to go with uh, Sertan. But Farley's game is strong, and when you watch him play, he's a fun player to watch. I just have to combine 
also the element of the competition they're playing, that Virginia Tech is in the ACC, um, that they're playing receivers from uh, anywhere from Clemson to uh, you know, Pitt to the University of Virginia to Boston College. So a really different caliber uh, than the challenges that, um, you know, someone like a Jamar Chase, a Justin Jefferson from LSU would pose to Patrick Sertan. And, and some of those games, he really performed at his best. So if I'm using the sixth uh, overall pick, I, I'm probably using it on, on Patrick Sertan. And I think Caleb Farley won't be far behind, but it's a combination of watching how it will translate. And I think Farley is outplaying people at the ACC level on his athleticism, but I think Sertan can do it uh, at the next level the way, his, the way his dad did. So I'll, I'll hand it off to Andrew. Yeah, I don't have much uh, to add to that, Chris. I think you, you pretty much hit it on the head there. Um, I do like the fact that both of these guys are 6'2", right, Mike? I think you said, um, at least Sertan is. But um, that puts them at, I, I think, the tallest cornerback that we have uh, on the roster. So um, it's nice to see, <laughs> to get a little hype back there and not, you know, have a, a, a Maddox or LeBlanc, you know, trying to jump and, and uh, compete with like a Devontae Adams and, and stuff like that. So um, I, I think the height's appealing and they play to that height too. They, they are mobile. They're both super fast. Chris, you said it. I think Farley does look like you know, he's super dynamic on the field there. Um, but I would, I would agree the the pedigree, um, is hard to overlook, uh, with certain, um, Farley and his, and his athleticism is certainly impressive, but, um, yeah, if, if push came to shove, I, I would feel more comfortable with, uh, with certain at, at, at six. Um, but I, you know, you probably can't go wrong with either guy. Yeah, and I, I go ahead, Michael. Oh no, I was just gonna say it, it is kind of a toss-up, and I really do think if uh, I mean, I guess we have yet to see what the combine this year is gonna look like. Look like, but if Caleb Farley runs an insane forty time at the combine, I think you will see him picked ahead of Sertan. Um, but it's just it's so hard to doubt Sertan. Uh, he's just constantly proven himself and he's got all of the attributes to be successful in the NFL, certainly. Um, so I'm kind of with you guys. I think Sertan is, is the safer bet. Um, it's hard to you know go against that kid, but Caleb Farley lays down like a, like a sub four, four 40 time. He's probably going to get picked first. Maddie. Yeah, just one more point, Mike. I have seen on some mock drafts, uh, Cowboys at 10, either going Farley uh, or Sertan. So, you know, it, this is uh, both guys, not someone I want to see twice a year. So it should be interesting to see what Cowboys do at uh, the 10 spot. Christopher? Just a uh, comp, a uh, couple of them. Uh, to give you an idea of, of the way that they're being conceptualized by people like Daniel Jeremiah and, and those who are a little bit more knowledgeable about uh, drafts and being able to make these comparisons, which you can always just take for what they are. Um, Caleb Farley, uh, I've seen compared to Jimmy Smith, uh, who was a cornerback out of Colorado who plays for the Ravens, is a, is a pretty good outside corner, um, albeit with a little bit of a different build. Uh, but when I look at comparisons to Patrick Sertan, um, I'm seeing anything from Byron Jones to Jalen Ramsey. 
Um, and that, that, you know, comps are what they are. I've had, I've gave, I've given my opinion of them before, um, but they do mean something to me in terms of how I conceptualize them. Um, and I, I think all of us would consider those two uh, Byron Jones and Jalen Ramsey at the top of the heap when it comes to corners. So um, Mike, to spin it back to you, if you're Howie at six, uh, you might've said this when my signal cut out, but are you leaning one guy or the other? Yeah, I think, I think, the group consensus kind of has been Sertan. Chris, I, I don't know if, if that's the way you're leaning. Um, that's how I it's feel. Just, you. It's really hard to go against the guy. The only thing I was saying that if if Caleb Farley runs a sub 4-4-40 at the combine, I think he might get picked before Sertan just because how fast, uh, you know, how coveted that speed is at the cornerback position. Yeah, and he has that long stride type build. I could see that happening for him. Um, on the flip side, you know, the Eagles don't have to pick a cornerback at number six. If they don't, they have a, uh, second round pick. I'm not sure if anybody knows the number of the pick in the second round. Um, but there are a couple guys I just want to mention real quick before we flip it over to talk about some linebackers and, um, D linemen, <clears throat> former Former Eagles player sons coming in this draft. Asante Samuel Jr. Uh, he's a projected second round pick. He's out of FSU. He's 5'10", 184 pounds. He's built just like his dad. He basically plays just like his dad, where he like plays off the man. And then as soon as the pass comes, he tries to, uh, you know, he's got real great closing speed, tries to pick the ball off. That's basically his style. Uh, very reminiscent of his dad. Eagles could very well draft him. Another one is Sean Wade. We saw him in the uh, national championship. He plays for uh, Ohio State. Um, he's 6'1", 195. This guy would be an excellent slot corner um, in the NFL. He tried moving to the outside this past year for Ohio State. Didn't get too many enough uh, playing time out there, and he's not quite fast enough, but he's really good at run defense, and he's a great blitzer. The Eagles could certainly pick him up uh, with their second-round pick. But uh, I think, you know, from talking to Chris, the guy that we want to see uh, the Eagles pick up with this second round pick is Tyson Campbell. And this is kind of this is kind of crazy. So Tyson Campbell and Patrick Sertan went to the same high school and it was American Heritage in Plantation, Florida. They were the two top cornerback recruits in the country coming into college. These two, uh, they're basically the same build. Uh, they basically have the same speed uh, in the 40. But Tyson Campbell looks to be a little bit faster than Sertan. Um, the knocks would just be that Campbell's play hasn't been as consistent um, in college. But honestly, he basically gives you that same look as Sertan. 6'2", uh, six, six 200-pound range, speed and physicality. Um, if he's on the board with the Eagles' second pick, I think they would, you know, it would be a great move to pick Tyson Campbell because they could mold him into a um, Patrick Sertan caliber type pick. Um, so let me just leave it off to that. So we have enough time to uh, talk about linebackers and defensive line and let's kick it off to kick it over to Andrew. Yeah, no, Mike, that was a good, uh, really good breakdown of, of the cornerback position, which is of, of dire need and, and kind of has, has been of, of a position of need for, for some time. Um, including cornerbacks uh, has been the linebacker position as uh, a position of need big time. Um, 
routinely undervalued uh, year after year by the by the Eagles. And in terms of acquisition cost scheme, you know, it, it feels like it's just, a, you know, a filler position. However, this year could be different. But before that, um, entering last season, um, we had already gone into the season with question marks at that position. They didn't sign, um, re-sign Jordan Hicks. Uh, they let Bradham walk. They let guys like LJ Fort and Gruger Hill leave who didn't, they got picked up, didn't have dynamic seasons, but at least were, you know, seemed skilled and knowledgeable enough to, to fill the void. So they decided to ride into last season with Nathan Geriatric um, and a hodgepodge of, of no names and, and rookie pod uh, projects. So um, I, I feel like there was a level of uncertainty. And I believe we talked about that on some podcasts going into the season. And that experiment did not work. Uh, they were picked apart early and often. Nathan lasted, I think, six or seven games before heading to the IR. Um, now, I will. I, what I would say was that there was a bright spot when he went down. Um, you saw guys like Alex Singleton get his uh, opportunity to shine, and he put together a really solid season. I believe he had a, around 120 tackles that put him in the top 10 in that position. That's you know, pretty impressive for, you know, not being in the starting lineup uh, week one. And then you saw some flashes of brilliance from TJ Edwards and Duke Riley. Um, but ultimately, here we are again, we're entering another offseason. Uh, questions and concerns still, uh, still are there for the linebacking position. Um, if you do believe in Singleton and Edwards and Riley, they all need contracts. I think they are all technically free agents, so not great. Um, I think Nathan Geriatric is in, is a free agent as well, but I think it's safe to say that he is gone unless he's just going to fill a special teams role. Um, uh, but then what do you do with your draft picks, Sean Bradley and Davion Taylor? I mean, uh, I think you saw some stuff, but Davion Taylor was drafted as a project, a known project. Um, do you believe that these guys could develop further? And are we going to enter in another season where it's, question marks, question marks, maybe. Um, so I don't know. Adding to this issue, you have Schwartz leaving the team. You have no defensive coordinator currently. Um, and I, I, I've seen, uh, we talked about earlier, but uh, a hodgepodge of names to fill that void. I know we talked mostly about the head coaching position, but I believe the same is for offensive coordinator and, and defensive coordinator. They're interviewing a whole bunch of different guys who are going to come with different schemes. I think uh, they're probably going to lean towards somebody that that pushes that traditional four three scheme that Schwartz did in the front four, and um, you know we still have dynamic players at the, at that position. But will the Eagles continue to undervalue linebacker, especially when there's this guy who I'm about to talk to sitting there at number six? Um, just a salary stat here: only the Bengals and the Patriots devoted less salary cap than the Eagles did at the linebacking position. So um, before I get uh, into talking about Micah Parsons, where for you guys does the concern with the linebacker position rank compared to other positions? Uh, I, I think there's there's holes. Sorry, Chris. I think there's holes on offensive line and, and cornerback as, as Mike just discussed. Um, but are you confident going in with the Singletons, the Edwards, the Rileys, um, enough to be okay with to take that stab at, at quarterback or a wide receiver and leave uh, again, this vacancy at, at the linebacking position, Chris? 
Yeah, I, I think it's a, a really great point. And I think in a position where you are rebuilding your defense along with the coordinators and the coaches that are going to follow, um, I think the Eagles should rethink their philosophy uh, when it comes to linebacker. And I think it's something that Fletcher Cox had said when the Eagles were switching to a 4-3 uh, stands out in my mind when Jim Schwartz was being brought in. And he repeated it uh, either this year or last year that, you know, the D-line can just get off the ball and, uh, and fly upfield toward the quarterback. And that's something that players coming from a 4-3 have to adjust to, like Javon Hargrave. And we saw his development this year uh, sort of come on late as he got used to the scheme. And that the idea of the 4-3 is that the D-line can fly off the ball at the quarterback because the linebackers are going to clean everything up. Um, and that concept is great, but we really haven't seen it fleshed out in terms of the talent uh, on the field. So uh, I would love to see someone come in. I mean, we, we all grew up watching Jeremiah Trotter um, and having that sense of confidence. You know, we thought Jordan Hicks might be that, that guy. I liked what I saw, but couldn't seem to stay healthy when he was here. They tried to make Bradham that guy that never seemed quite right. So there's just sort of a lack of identity uh, in, the, in the team when it comes to linebacker, not only when it comes to talent, but also the kind of their philosophy surrounding it. I mean, we know they don't prioritize it, but there hasn't been a good reason why. It's glaring to us as fans that there's a need there. So I think it's a great question. I don't know. If, yeah, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I, I agree with Chris, but I'll just add the caveat that it depends on the player available that you would you know take with a really high pick um i think there's a consensus in the nfl that you can get good linebackers you know in the second and third round and so the value for using your first pick on a linebacker as long as the criteria are met that this linebacker is exceptional um then then yes i think the eagles should definitely go get him because that'll be an impactful player that you can build your defense around. No, I think that's a fair point. Um, you know, I don't think you see a lot of linebackers going in the top five and, and rarely in the top 10, but, um, you know, I, I just think when, and just like you said, if it's a can't miss player and it fits that position and makes that position from a C to a B, I mean, you have to, you have to consider it. Um, Matt. Yeah, Andrew, it's, it's, it's tough to go and get a linebacker this tough. I'm going to bring up some names here. Does Aaron Curry ring a bell to anyone? Uh, does, uh, Airdian Bruce ring a bell to anyone? No, he was the, uh, first overall pick in the 1988 draft as an outside linebacker. And nice. never heard of him. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus. Arian Curry was fourth overall by the Seahawks in 2009. He lasted till 2013 and uh, really didn't make a, a name for himself. And the other name that comes up is LeVar Arrington, who had a, a couple good seasons uh, with the Redskins. But he got paid and he left the league. So it, it's very tough to pick a linebacker that, that high. But then you look at a Brian Urlacher who was ninth overall and had a Hall of Fame career. So it, it's tough to, to jump up there and make a decision at the linebacking core because you haven't seen a lot of these 
uh, guys have success being picked that high. But as far as the Eagles go, it, we need as a keystone of our uh, defense because I don't think we have that right now. We don't have leadership. Uh, we lost that with Malcolm Jenkins leaving. So if this guy can not only be a stud player at the linebacking position, but can be the the quarterback of the defense, yeah, I, I don't see why not. Why pick him at six? And yeah, that's a lot to ask for a rookie quarterback to come in, immediately be the leader of the defense, uh, be the quarterback of the defense. But it sounds like he has the pedigree to do so. So yes, there's a lot of talent there and we don't want to waste it. Uh, but I, I like everything this guy has to offer on paper, Andrew. Yeah. Well, let's get into the guy. So the pick, uh, potential pick at six is, is Micah Parsons, uh, out of Penn state junior out of Penn state. Um, and yes, in a draft that is, is heavy, heavily stacked with, with quarterbacks and, and wide receivers and a couple of linemen and, and cornerbacks as Mike just went down. Um, and discussed uh, this guy stands alone by far as the as the best uh, of the linebacking position and also has to be considered as a you know one of the best uh, overall defensive um, draft selections possible at number six so um, I think you have to consider him and especially when we get to some comparisons that I know Chris loves and he, he probably has seen this but um, his high-end comp is, uh, is, is hard to resist. But um, Parsons, uh, 6'3", 245, uh, was the first-team All-American in, uh, in 2019, uh, a year after being um, on the uh, freshman All-American team in 2018. I guess he was in the same class as 13, Mike, um, that you were breaking down. I think they have a history of playing in, you know, those um, uh, high school and the college games and uh, – so uh, he comes from that, that same group of just dynamically uh, incredible athletes. So he led, uh, he actually led Penn State as a true freshman in tackles. Um, and then in 2019, he recorded 119 tackles, 14 for loss, five sacks, four forced fumbles. This guy's all over the place. Um, Penn State has produced a lot of good linebackers over the past several years. Um, this guy ranks among them. Um, it's important to note that like a lot of the other guys that we've mentioned and like a lot of the other top uh, first round or top 10 um, athletes, he did opt out of the 2020 season. Um, but in my mind, that just gave him time to work out and prep and uh, get ready for the draft, get ready for the combine, whatever it needed to take. This guy is a stud and pretty much has been his entire career. He was the fifth ranked overall high school recruit in 2018 coming um uh, out of Harrisburg, I believe it was. So, I mean, crazy, crazy athletic and dynamic. Um, after watching some film, just a couple takes, uh, he can read and react very quickly. He picks up on run and pass very well. This guy is smart. He keeps his head up. He keeps his eyes up. Um, he has great closing speed on tackles and rushes. He's explosive for a big guy. He plays fast. If you watch the tape, he is everywhere. He sheds blocks. He's great against the run, and he stays with the play. Again, head up. Eye, uh, eyes are always active. Um, he doesn't bite on, on play actions, 
which I think is a very uh, nice addition to this defensive team who you constantly see ends and cornerbacks um, and linebackers biting on play action. My maybe one concern is that the current scheme is probably not uh, ideal for him. Um, I think he's athletic and skilled enough to succeed no matter what it is, but he probably technically fits better for a three, four, but I don't think um, that is uh, a hesitation to, to, to not draft somebody, especially when we don't have that coordinating uh, that defensive coordinator spot filled. Um, his, his coverage uh, in the past is not, not bad, but needs work. Um, and again, I think that's a, uh, you know, a product of the scheme um, that he'll be in. So let's look at a couple comps here, Chris. I'll give this to you because um, you like these. Um, and it's yep. a good way, you know, it's, it's a fun way of, of judging somebody. Um, so his floor uh, was put as uh, Ro uh, Rolando McLean who was up and down, I think, through his NFL career, Raiders, Ravens. I think we saw him with the Cowboys more recently. Um, his kind of, like, baseline tier is K.J. Wright. Uh, not a popular name, but he has anchored the Seahawks defense for, you know, the better part of 10 years. He's been behind Bobby Wagner and the Legion of, of, of Boom there for a few years, but he's been the guy right there in the middle. The ceiling comp for Micah Parsons is Luke Keekley. That's pretty good. That's, that's, that's nice to hear. The intelligence part of that is so big. You know, I remember watching footage of Baldy breaking down Luke Keekley and with a mic on him saying they're switching to a run and like being able to just basically telegraph what was going to happen. Um, and I, I think we all think of Luke Keekley as a linebacker, but I think the intelligence part of it and just that core of the, the Panthers defense when it was strongest with him and uh, Thomas Davis when they were there during that successful run when the Panthers went like what 15 and one their defense was dominant. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'm seeing here uh, over the course of his college career 99 solo tackle six and a half sacks, uh, six forced fumbles. Uh, the, the guy just stands out when you watch him. I said uh, prior to the podcast, he's, you know, certainly a linebacker, not a positionless player, but he's just an impact player. You, you just can't help but be excited watching this guy play. And seems like one of those stabilizing forces that we brought up when we were talking about coaching. I think the defense is going to need a player like this uh, in order to really um, find themselves because that's what's going to have to happen all over again. You know, that's part of the that's part of this this whole sort of reboot thing that we're a part of as fans. So, um, yeah, if, if Parsons is there at six. I'm for it. Yeah, and I and I know it will come down to at, at six. We're getting a dynamic player either way, right? Um, and I know, you know, uh, Howie's mantra and the team's mantra last year was we're getting faster, we're getting more athletic, we're getting more skilled on offense. Didn't really help pan out. Uh, didn't pan out. Didn't help the situation. Um, I'd like us to get back to focusing on defense in 2017. We had a dominant defense. And when the Eagles roll, we have a dominant defense. We have a lot of missing pieces on that end of the ball. And this guy can fill a void that, yes, at the linebacking position, but on the defense, he can help out the entire defense because you don't have to bring up safeties or pinch in corners or do stunts on the – like you can change a lot um, – scheme wise on the defensive side of the ball, when you have somebody in the middle that you can count on 
um, that can stuff the run, that can play a little bit of coverage, um, that has size, smarts, recognition. Like this, to me, this guy has the entire package and somebody that we would look for um, if we're making an effort to improve the defense. Maddie, Mike, yeah. or sorry, Chris. No, I was just gonna just gonna say, you know, we we have confidence in the D line, we have confidence in Darius Slay, but everything between that is a gigantic question mark. And to bring somebody in like Parsons, who can be uh, a role player, as Matt said, sort of the quarterback of of the defense and set things up, I think that's just the sort of presence that's needed. Um, I, I'll, I'll flip it to Matt, but I'm gonna go as far as to say, if Parsons is there at six, I would take him and I would take him over Sertan. And that's partially because I've done some research on a couple of the second round prospects, excuse me, that Mike touched on, Asante Samuel Jr. as well as Tyson Campbell, who I'm really high on. I think he's got a great skill set. Um, I just think Parsons is such a difference maker just as a player, um, linebacker, almost secondary to me, just the fact that he's just such a dynamic player that stands out um, and, and seems to have some leadership qualities. I mean, I, that's, that's a big part of it for me. So Matt, I'll flip it to you, but maybe we can end with that. If, if it's up to you at six, uh, do you go with part, if Parsons and Sertan are both there, kind of a total hypothetical here, but just for the sake of wrapping up the pod, uh, who would you go with? Chris, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm going with Parsons as well. Uh, Andrew, stop me if you said this, but uh, his senior season he, of high school, he transferred to Harrisburg High. Uh, there, Parsons became a running back in the mold of Derrick Hem Henry, rumbling through the interior defenders. He put up uh, over 1,200 rushing yards, 27 touchdowns uh, on just 109 carries. The guy was a stud in high school and he continued to be a stud at the collegiate level and now entering the NFL draft. I think one of the things we've talked about on previous podcasts is the Nathan geriatrics of the world getting lost in that uh, zone coverage in the middle of the field. We saw tight ends kill us and wide receivers kill us over the middle. Uh, that zone between the linebacking core and the D backs, they would find the quarterbacks would find those pockets and just hit the uh, receiver of, in that middle, uh, in the middle of the field. And a lot of that had to do with the lack of athleticism at the linebacking position to be able to get into that zone. And from everything you just said, Parsons seems to have the speed and the ability to. I get there so that we do have uh, firm coverage in the middle in that pocket that had killed us all season this year. So I'm in agreement. If Parsons is available, I would take him at six. Yeah, let me just add to that, Maddie. Um, I was just doing a quick search on Parsons 40 time. His 40 time is faster than Sertan's. And, oh. you know, he's <laughs> he's got... Um, He's got a lot more pounds on him than Sertan does. So Sertan's around four five. I'm seeing Parsons at four four three, or at least sub four five. So yeah, like you're saying, true. being able to cover people across the middle of the field, um, that's really enticing. You know, uh, he's capable of it. Man, that's a big difference maker. That fact, Mike, big yeah. time. Yeah, that's that's impressive. And and I'll leave you with this before I pass it over to Chris uh, to wrap here, but. Joe Marino of, of the Draft Network, this was his kind of his, his quote or breakdown on, uh, on Micah Parsons. But he says, 
Michael Parsons, who has the size, physicality, and athleticism to be a second-level enforcer in the NFL and the quarterback of the Eagles' defense. His toughness, ability to play in space, and leadership are needed in Philadelphia. And then you have all these other accolades of, you know, best pass rusher in the class, but arguably best defensive person in the in the draft. Um, most likely to succeed. Most likely to succeed, especially on the Eagles. Uh, it feels like it could be a, a, a nice natural fit, regardless of scheme. Um, he's a guy that I would be wildly excited if they brought on board. And the intelligence factor, I think, you know, when we think about the linebacker position and, and the fact that he decided to opt out, and I don't know if the reason for it was clear, but um, the fact that he opted out of 2020, that, you know, as a, a smarter player, as a guy who's well-conditioned and, and has a history of playing multiple positions dynamically, um, I, my expectation, you know, would be for him to step in and, and really be a, a figurehead of this defense and emerge as a leader, uh, hopefully moving forward. So, I'm not sure. Mike, did you give an opinion on whether or not you would take if you had the choice between Sertain and, and Parsons? Are you going Parsons also? Yeah, I, I totally agree with um, what you said, Chris, about there's definitely talent at that second round position for cornerback um, with Asante Samuel Jr., um, as well as Tyson Campbell. If the Eagles could just guarantee they get Tyson Campbell with that second round pick, totally go with Micah Parsons on the first pick. I really agree with what Andrew's saying about prioritize the defense this year because you need to get that right. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my thinking. Uh, I don't want to cloud it, but it'll be really interesting if Devontae Smith is on the board at number six, what the Eagles decide to do. Um, that's but, really tough, isn't it? I yeah. mean, that's really where, you know, because there is such a need at receiver and you think about, you know, the idea of still not having a head coach we're all talking about, well, I feel good about Micah Parsons because there's some good second round corners. That's assuming that they would go one and two uh, on the defense. And I think that's also assuming that, that you may have hired a defensive coach. And, and it seems as though, although they have interest in some defensive coaches, the narrative has always been that Lori is a offensive mind, especially I think the last defensive coach was Ray Rhodes when we were in grade school. So you know, you, you got to go back a while. And that was his first coaching hire uh, to get to that. But having said that, we've seen Robert Sala get hired by the Jets. We've seen Brandon Staley get hired as a defensive coordinator uh, out in uh, out in L.A. with the Chargers. So who knows what will happen? Um, either way, I think we're all in agreement. Michael Parsons, at least with the first pick at six, would be one we'd, we'd all be happy with, a stabilizing force that right now as we just fly through this whirlwind of being an Eagles fan uh, in the wake of this season that we're all just dealing with. But fellas, great job tonight. Really love the breakdowns from Mike and Andrew. Uh, hopefully we'll be back again. I'd really like to start talking about some of these other rounds because once we get beyond, um, I think we're in a position where we would like to, to if we were to submit our own Eagles water cooler mock, uh, lock Micah Parsons in at six. But really given some thought to with that next pick at two and three, those other impact uh, positions. Um, what do we want to do? Where do we see the team prioritizing things? But linebacker has been sort of long neglected. It's, it's high time. Let's make Michael Parsons happen. I dig it. I like, I like it. Him, I like him wearing a nice, uh, like a number 50, like a number 56, 58 type type Jersey. I can, I can envision that. Trent Cole, you think it's 58? Happen. Oh, oh, uh, oh, 58. 
Let's do it. Man, I like that. Okay, let's go with that. Um, Fellas, good job tonight. Go Birds. Go Birds. Go Birds. Go Birds.